following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. The last thing that I want to make note of uh, as we transition this morning into the preaching of God's word is just that uh, one of our values at Sacred City is planting churches that plant churches and raising up leaders to uh, be pastors of those churches and to lead other missional communities and and raising up men to uh, preach the gospel in our Sunday gatherings. And so one of the, the ways that we do that is through our monthly preaching lab, which Pastor Sam from Moline leads uh, on a monthly basis. And this is a group of men who are coming together learning how to handle the Word of God, how to preach the gospel clearly, how to contextualize the gospel to our different cities, our different churches, um, and how to become preachers of the Word. And so uh, this morning, I'm excited to have David Sanderson here. He's one of the men in our preaching lab. Uh, Personally, he's also a guy in my missional community, so it's really exciting to see that as well. Um, I'm excited for how God is raising up David. Um, He preached a few weeks ago in Moline, and we're excited to have him here preaching with us for us this morning. So uh, that brief introduction, last thing I wanted to do, um, after the reading of God's word, he'll come up here and and preach for us. So at this time, in the honor of God's word, I ask that you please stand. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 12, 1 through 16. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man obtains, obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Sacred City Church. If you're visiting with us, glad you're here. Uh, Like Ben said, my name is David Sanderson. I'm one of the guys in preaching lab, so not the normal preacher here. Uh, Actually, Justin, the pastor, is on vacation. And the last couple weeks as we've been in Proverbs, if you can't tell by the banners, uh, he asked me and Rob, the the two wisest people in the church, uh, to get up here and preach these sermons. So uh, obviously I'm joking, uh, but that is honestly uh, one of my fears this morning, is that you'll, you'll hear this sermon and you'll think of it as life advice from a 25-year-old engineer whose life is really messy. And if that's what we're going to hear this morning, then I don't want to be here. So you shouldn't either. I hope this morning as we open up Proverbs that you'll hear this as wisdom from our creator God. And I pray that the spirit would convict you and would show you uh, yourself in this, would show you God through uh, this scripture. So 
Before we get going, let me pray for that, and uh, we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, uh, this morning my prayer is simply that you would uh, just reveal ourselves to us. God, show us, show us who we really are. Um, help us see past uh, vanity. God, give us humility to see our own foolishness. Um, Father, show us where we're being foolish. Give us your spirit to change us. Uh, and be with me this morning as I handle your word. Father, I pray that I would be faithful to it and handle it well. Uh, Father, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I already mentioned, uh, this morning we're in the middle of uh, a ser sermon series on wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Uh, in the last couple weeks, we've gone over you know, what wisdom is, how can we get it, what does it look like to walk in wisdom, and then we kind of started fleshing out what that looks like in the book of Proverbs. And we looked at uh, the simpleton, and we looked at the sluggard and the scoffer, and this morning we're going to look at another one of those characters. We're going to look at the fool. Now, the last couple weeks when Rob has been preaching, he... Uh, he's actually preaching on kind of a subcategory of the fool. So we mentioned a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning. He actually stole a good amount of my sermon. So wherever you are, Rob, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Had to rewrite a good portion of it. Um, but I, we will kind of recap some of the stuff that he talked about because um, I think it's important that we have it all in one spot. And so essentially these characters that we're looking at, uh, they're tools that the writer of Proverbs is using to teach. He's taking these characters that are really extreme examples um, of an, uh, the opposite of wisdom, taking an extreme example and showing us what that looks like so that we can kind of point out the more um, small manifestations of that character in ourselves. Uh, we, don't, we don't act like the sluggard that uh, is described. We don't act like the actual fool. That, that personality is too extreme. We kind of have a watered-down version of that in ourselves, and the goal of Proverbs is to show us the extreme and ask us to compare that to ourselves to see the, the lesser version. So I think one of the best examples to kind of portray that, I'm going to steal a verse from Rob's sermon last week because I think it's, it's really extreme, and it, it kind of paints the picture really well. Uh, Proverbs 19.24, it's talking about the sluggard. It says that the sluggard is so lazy that he reaches down to a bowl to feed himself, but it's just so much work to get that hand back to his mouth that he doesn't eat. So that, that, no one is like that, but we are lazy. We, we forget to do things that we need to do. How often do you know something that needs to be done? Instead of doing it, you do something else. Like, you know you need to call your mom, but fill in the blank, right? You know you need to uh, register your car again, but things come up, right? These are, these are silly little examples, but that's the idea of Proverbs, that we would look at the extreme to see the kind of smaller manifestations of that. So this morning, we're going to look at the fool, like I said, and Proverbs has a ton to say about the fool. I, I kind of mentioned it with Rob's, um, Rob's two characters, the sluggard and the scoffer. These are kind of branches of the fool. Next week, we'll look at the wicked. The wicked is also a fool. So it's kind of this big umbrella term, and for the sake of our sermon this morning, we're going to narrow that down quite a bit. We're going to kind of restrict the scope. But I want to use Rob's definition. Um, I think it's really good. He said that the the fool is someone who is two things, out of touch with reality, and they should know better. And I think that phrase is really important for us to think about because if you kind of flip it on its head, if you uh, are in touch with reality and you know better, then you're wise, right? You're acting in line with the universe and you do the things that you know you should. And if you kind of flip it again and you're out of touch with reality, uh, but you can't be expected to know better, well, that's the simpleton that we talked about in the first week. And the fool is that combination of those two He's out of touch with reality. He doesn't really know how the world works. And he should. 
So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I doubt that many people here consider themselves fools. We might say that we do foolish things from time to time, but I don't think many of us would wear like a, a t-shirt that says, I'm a fool, right? That's not a defining characteristic of our personality. It's not what we want to portray. It's not what we want people to think about us. But the thrust of the Bible is that we are foolish. Justin talked about that in his first sermon, so I kind of want to recap part of that as well, uh, just the overlap between them. Uh, it's easy for us to hear these sermons and see these extreme characteristics and look at other people, uh, but we need to look at ourselves. And so as we look at the fool, I think the best chapter to kind of see some context for us being fools is Romans 1. So I want to I go to Romans 1 really quick before we get to Proverbs. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 23, Paul is kind of talking about who the human race is and how we got here. You know, what are we all like and why are we that way? And so in 20, verse 22, he says, although they know God, although they knew God, sorry, the human race, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, in, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So like I said, Paul here is describing the entire human race. He's talking about you and me and about how we're all born with this tendency to be foolish. We all have this bend toward foolishness because we have a bend toward sin. Sin acts in the opposite of God. God is our standard of wisdom. So therefore, we all have a bend towards this foolishness. So as we look at the fool today, we need to know that this is us. And we need to hold up this extreme example of the fool like a mirror and examine ourselves, see where we're acting in line with this. So I'm, I'm going to break down the fool into three characteristics. So pay attention to those. There's a bit of a pattern in between them. See if you can pick up on that. And uh, again, think about yourself, not other people, not people in your MC, not your kids, not your spouse. Think about yourself. How are you acting the fool? So, number one, the fool talks a lot. This is, uh, oh, as we go through these three, we're going to be jumping through all of Proverbs. Uh, so don't try to keep up with me. There's a lot, a lot of verses. And then when we, when we talk about uh, our passage, you can follow along there. So Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Now, you know people like this. You've talked to people like this. It, these are the people that you hate to have a debate with even maybe a conversation, because they're not trying to understand an opposing viewpoint. They're not trying to understand what you're saying. They just want to make sure that you hear them, that you understand them. The, the fool in his pride needs to be heard. Whether he's right or wrong, whether he has uh, a position to stand on, whether he should be heard, he just needs to be heard. Proverbs 15, 2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of a fool pours out folly. I think there's a lot of Facebook foolishness out there, and this, this verse calls it out, right? Con consider your own Facebook posts. Are you screening that? Do you know that what you're passing on is, is wisdom? Are you commending knowledge, or are you just putting out volume? Is it uh, quantity over quality, like the fool, or are you putting out into the world good information? The fool talks a lot. The fool also wastes money. So number one, the fool talks a lot. Number two, the fool wastes money. Proverbs 17, 16 says this. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? 
And then Proverbs 21, 20 says that precious treasure and oil are like a wise or are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now, this isn't specifically talking about poor people. This is talking about poor money management. The fool has money, but he doesn't know how to use it. The way that he uses it is destructive. It's uh, impulsive. There's no saving. There's no considering a financial future. There's no planning. The fool lives above and beyond his means. And I think, you know, in Proverbs, there weren't credit cards, right? There was no credit cards when Proverbs was written. So I, I looked this up just to kind of see where our culture is on this. And I found out that in Iowa, if you have a credit card, the average credit card owner carries over about $5,000 a month. And if you live in Illinois, it's, it's actually worse. Uh, Illinois is $6,500 a month. So we live in a foolish culture, foolish with their money, unable to control themselves. They're impulsive in their spending. But what about you? The culture is foolish, but what about you? How much control over your life does money have? We learned in our Money, Manage, Money Matters series a few months ago that we can be easily blinded to our own foolishness in this area. So I, I would challenge you to you know, consider these questions regular, regularly. Talk about this with people that uh, know your life, that know how you spend your money. We need to be able to see our foolishness there. Number three, the fool has a temper and stirs up conflict. So one, the fool talks a lot. Two, the fool wastes money. And three, the fool has this temper. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7 says that a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Now, this one's super easy to understand. The fool talks smack all the time. The fool is constantly pushing people's buttons, trying to get a reaction. Uh, a few months ago, RMC, uh, we were at our mission at the Family Resources at the Leslie House, uh, and there was a, a new kid there little tiny kid. He's in this group of like 10, 12 people. Smallest one in the bunch, and yet he had the loudest mouth. He was talking smack to everybody, poking fun, kind of a what are you going to do about it kind of kid. And every like 20 minutes, he would say something to the wrong guy and take a few punches. And that was how the night went over and over and over. He never learned his lesson. Now, it wasn't right that that happened to him, but this kid was a fool. He was asking for it. Proverbs 12, 16 says that the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. And Proverbs 29, 11 says that a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Where the fool flies off the handle, the wise man is able to control himself. So the fool stirs up this high level of emotion, pushes all the right buttons to get the reaction that he wants, and then he responds in like, like he responds with the same level of anger and emotion that he stirs up. The fool can't control his lips. He can't control his anger. He lives day to day on this whim of his anger. So those are our three. Number one, the fool talks a lot. Number two, the fool wastes money. And number three, uh, the fool has a temper and stirs up anger. Do you see the pattern here? There's a pattern of control. The fool is out of control. He's rolling recklessly towards self-destruction. He can't control his pride, and so he needs to be heard. He can't control his impulsiveness, and so he wastes his money. He can't control uh, his anger, and so he loses his temper. He's recklessly running towards self-destruction. The fool is characterized by indulgence and impulsiveness in every verse. 
And we could look at others. We could look at how the fool works. We could look at how he relates to people. We could look at how uh, he handles sex or how he handles sin in his life or how he handles people who correct him or people who want to give him advice. It's the same thing in every place. The fool is ruled by his emotions, his desires, his basic instincts. He's impulsive and indulgent. Now, remember that this is meant to be an extreme example. So this isn't you in every situation, but this should sound familiar. should be areas in your life where you can spot impulsiveness, where you can see your own indulgence. So where is that? Where do you see this in yourself? What parts of your personality have you trapped? Is it your need for belonging? Is it your anger? Is it something as simple as a need to help other people? Where are you out of control? I'm sure for some people here, it's really easy to see where, they're, where they've been foolish. Maybe you've had to deal with significant consequences of your foolishness. I, I mean, I think about people that uh, have lost their temper and lost relationships. They're estranged from their family because of certain fights. You haven't been able to forgive people. You have this need for uh, vengeance that you can't quell. So you, you, your relationships are strained. Or maybe you uh, meet that uh, waste money place where you, you're, you've racked up a life-changing amount of debt. It's easy for those people to see where their foolishness is, is taking hold of them, but for others, it might be a lot harder. But maybe, just as an example, you're, you're out of control in your ability, uh, in, your, in your passion for work or career, where you have given yourself so much over to your career that, you know, it strains your family, but they're okay. It's not going to destroy your kid's life that you're at work all the time. No hours are too many, and so your marriage is strained. You become successful, and you get arrogant. You, you lose your need for other people. You might lose your sight for a need for, for God, even. There are little ways where if we're not able to control passions or desires, they run rampant in our lives, and it can be ruinous for us. So we need to learn to constrain our inner fool. Each of us has it. It's like a little monster looking to destroy you. So how do you control it? Proverbs gives us this problem of foolishness. How do we handle it? I would say we look to Proverbs for what the answer is. Proverbs does give us an answer in the way that it describes the wise man. So we look to the wise man. He's no different than us, right? He's got that same natural bend towards foolishness, and yet he's described as wise. So what makes him different? Temperance. That's a word we're not familiar with. The wise man is a temperate man. For most of us, we have no idea what that means. When we think about the word temperate, or temperance, or temperament, uh, most people probably think about history class in high school, like talking about the temperance movement in 1920 to get rid of alcohol, to make alcohol illegal. Then uh, that definition really doesn't help us. That's not a, that's not a, a good guideline for us today. So I want to give us a little bit of color on what temperance is before we talk about what the temperate man looks like or how we might become temperate. So what, what is temperance? Temperance is kind of a classic virtue. It's discussed by Plato and Aristotle uh, in their writing on virtues. It's one of the cardinal virtues of the Catholic Church. Uh, it's got a long storied history, but we don't talk about it much today because it's all about moderation. We live in a culture that is opposed to moderation. Temperance is defined as moderation in 
uh, appetites or desires. This might look like uh, restraint from retaliation in the form of forgiveness. This might look like uh, restraint from arrogance or pride in the form of humility and modesty. This might look like uh, restraint from excess in the form of prudence. You can kind of see how the pattern works. Restraint from something leading to another. Restraint from anger that would give you calmness, self-control, those kinds of things. But the definition that I found the most helpful and the one that we'll kind of walk through this morning is that temperance is a mastery of appetites. A mastery of appetites. And as we look at the wise man as, and compare him to the fool, what we'll see is that the wise man is a master of his appetites, but a fool is mastered by them. Where the fool is controlled by his desires and impulses, the wise man is able to see them. He has those same impulses, but he's able to act rightly. And this virtue is all over Proverbs. The way I've kind of been thinking of it is it's, it's part of the mechanism of wise living, where the wise man sees something he needs to do, has an impulse to do the opposite, and yet decides to be wise. It's part of that mechanism. And so we can, we can take any verse in Proverbs that's about the wise man and show his temperance because it's involved in every action of the wise man. And so that's what we're going to do this morning in Proverbs 12. That's what was read this morning, Proverbs 12, 1 through 16. I want to walk through that, and I want to look at a, a handful of ways that it shows that the wise man is in control of his impulses. The wise man sees them and acts rightly. So let's, let's start in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to kind of jump around, but we'll be in that Proverbs or 12, 1 through 16 area. So verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That word for discipline there, uh, is actually translated as like reproof or rebuke in other places. It's not physical discipline, it's correction. The wise man loves to be corrected. He loves to be told that he's wrong because he's able to learn from that, gain new understanding, embrace new wisdom. So how does temperance fit here? Like I said, we can kind of show temperance in every action of the wise man. How does that fit here? Well, people that are intelligent, almost, you know, stereotypically, are overly confident in their intelligence. And so the wise man here, in his ability to embrace correction, has control over his pride. He has an impulse to be prideful, to kind of go against that correction, to defend himself, but he restrains it, knowing that this is the wise thing, to embrace new knowledge, to see where he's off and correct. We see this again in verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now, I'm not a wife, and I'm not married, but I know that living in close proximity to someone, living in that kind of partnership, takes a control of your pride. Because the same thing, you're going to have correction back and forth. You're going to have that play, and you need to be able to control your pride in that situation. Selective speech here in Proverbs 12 is a dividing line between the wicked fool and the righteous wise man. Speech matters. And like I said, depending on the situation, this may require a mastery of any number of desires, impulses, appetites, whatever you want to call it. When do we lie, right? To maintain reputation, maybe to hide something we're ashamed of, maybe to push forward an image that we don't really have. Those are a whole mixture of different motives that the wise man has to be able to control in those situations. When do we speak impulsively? When do we use words to retaliate? When we have anger, guilt, fear, 
pride again. There's a number of things that the wise man needs to be able to identify and control in order to walk in wisdom. Let's keep moving. So one, the wise man's able to control his pride. Two, his speech, his tongue. And number three, anger. Verse 10 and then verse 16. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. 16, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The wise man isn't cruel as a vent for his frustration. He doesn't beat his animal when he's angry at it. The wise man is able to identify his anger and control it and use it in the proper arena. Where we looked at the fool out of control by his anger, has a temper and can't control it. The wise man sees it, acknowledges it, and is able to quietly hold back his spirit. So the wise man's in control of his pride, in control of his tongue, control of his anger. Let's look at verse 11 and then 27. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The wise man is constantly shown throughout Proverbs as diligent and hardworking. The fool, like we talked about uh, last week, the sluggard, is constantly shown as lazy. So the wise man wakes up, he works a hard day, he goes to bed tired. What type of temperance does this take? This takes control from comfort, control of a desire for entertainment or a desire uh, to watch a bunch of Netflix or to scroll on Facebook constantly. It's, it's restraint from the nagging urge to be entertained constantly. This is one that our culture struggles with a lot. We're in love with our screens. And so I'm sure this is a big one for me where I, I need to be able to control in order to use my time well, I need to be able to control my consumption of entertainment. Number five. This last area that I want to look at actually isn't in Proverbs 12. We're going to jump over to Proverbs 5. Uh, but it's an important one to look at. It's so important that the uh, father in Proverbs writing to his son gives a whole chapter to the foolishness of adultery and sexual sin. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Sexual sin is particularly damaging, and yet it's extremely prevalent in our society. The father here acknowledges the allure of the woman to the son. He says that her lips drip honey. But he follows that up with verse after verse of the calamity that follows this woman and the punishment that comes from giving yourself to her. He goes as far as to say in verse 23 that the man who gives himself to the woman dies because he lacks discipline. A wise man knows the dangers of sexual sin and is able to avoid it. It's obvious to see here a control of lust, a control of pleasure, even companionship, but I think there's more to it there. There's a, a sense of power and control in a relationship where someone acknowledges you sexually. And so the wise man has to be able to control lust and uh, pride and pleasure and 
uh, partnership, but also control that power. So we see that the wise man is, again, shown as the master of his appetites. And we could go on and on, right? Temperance is part of that mechanic of acting wisely. We just went through a whole bunch of passages. But temperance provides control of impulses, control of emotions, control of underlying motives that cause us to act in ways that we know are wrong. And that's why temperance is so beautiful and so freeing because it gives you that control. Now, self-control is not often viewed as something that's freedom or beautiful. Most of the time we look at self-control as kind of stingy and uh, it's like punishment, it's hard work, it's not fun. It doesn't have all the sexiness of impulsiveness or spontaneity. It's, it's not something that we value. But discipline is the most important ingredient to freedom. If you want to set a goal and achieve it, if you want to buy a house, you have to be able to have that you know, daily self-control to monitor your finances. If you want to run a marathon, you have to be able to get up every morning and run more and more and more. There's discipline in order to achieve things. So discipline is freedom. If we want a promotion, we have to have that everyday discipline to perform and control yourself even when you don't have the motivation to, even when you're having a hard day. You have to be able to push through. It's the freedom to not shoot yourself in the foot. It's the freedom from self-sabotage, where you set a goal and then act contrary to it and are not able to achieve it. Now, this idea of self-control isn't anything new, right? There are tons of people that talk about this. It's not even uh, particularly spiritual. It, it's very secular. You've got people today like uh, David Goggins and Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson. You could talk about all these different people who talk about the value of doing hard things, setting goals and achieving them, the value of getting your life together. This is a common message. It's, it's super prevalent in our, in our culture. Uh, it's on the most popular podcasts and books. It's a common topic. How do I control myself? But even with the volume of material that's out there on this topic, we suck at this. Our culture fails here over and over and over again. We fail here. We fail here. And it's interesting to see how we look at people that are able to control themselves and kind of hold them up on this pedestal. Like I think about the Jocko Willink. If you don't know him, uh, he's ex-military. He's very disciplined. He's really known for taking a picture of his watch every day and posting it online. He wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and works out for like six hours. Like he's a, a freak. But why do we consider that a freak? He just says, I'm going to wake up at 4.30, and then he does it. Like, on paper, that doesn't sound that hard, right? It's just, I'm going to do this, and then he does it. But that is incredible, because we're so bad at controlling ourselves that we look at someone who's just able to do that, just do what he says, and we'll buy books from this guy who gets paid for speaking tours. Like, it's this weird thing that we, that we are so bad at this that we hold these people up so high. But we're foolish because unlike Jocko in some ways, we, we act contrary to what we know is true. We don't see reality as it is, and we should know better. We even, even when we have the consequences of our foolishness, right, even when we do shoot ourselves in the foot, when we don't act the way that we need to, even when we deal with those consequences, it doesn't always change us, right? We felt, you felt the repercussions of your foolishness. I've definitely felt it. You've seen your foolishness. For a lot of us, it can feel like this pattern that we'll never be able to break out of, that I have been foolish, I am being foolish, and I will be foolish. 
It's this swimming against the current. This is who I am. I have a temper. I am an emotional person. I am impulsive. We even put it in as part of our personality. No, I am an eight, and so I'm going to charge over people, if you like the Enneagram. I am a three. I'm definitely going to give myself over to my career. We, we make it part of our personality that we don't know how to control ourselves. But we need to. It's foolishness to be so controlled by our emotions that we respond in anger or that we don't make the proper decisions that we need to to lead our family or to lead our MC. So where's the hope? We've, we've tried to work harder. We've tried to listen to podcasts. Our culture consumes this stuff in a massive volume, and it doesn't work. So how do you break it? How do you become a more tempered person? You have someone hold you accountable, maybe. You'd go to MC and talk about it. You'd pray some more, try harder, set better, better goals, maybe some smart goals this time. It, none of that works. And so as I was approaching the sermon and trying to figure out, even for myself, how do I get out of my own foolishness? I came across this passage in Psalms, and I think it really shows us where the hope for a fool truly is. So Psalms 107, Psalm 107, uh, verse 17 through 19, it says this. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. That's the consequences of our foolishness, suffer affliction. 18, they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. These people don't know what's good for them. They don't eat food. They walk towards death. Verse 19, and then they cried to the Lord, and in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destruction. So what do the foolish people do in this chapter? Do they try harder? Do they try to walk towards the food? No, they simply cry out to the Lord. They recognize their inability to act in wisdom, and they cry out in desperation for the Lord to change them. This is what the hope for the fool is. For us in the New Testament, we have Christ to look at. And we can look at Christ and see a perfect example of temperance, a perfect example of self-control and wisdom on the cross, where Christ, the Lord of the universe, denied himself and took on human flesh had to deal with hunger and pain and being tired, things that he doesn't have to deal with as God, yet he took on those things and restrained a desire for comfort, restrained a desire to be worshipped as Lord, restrained his anger in our sin, and went to the cross, restraining a desire to get off the cross, you know, fully going into that for us. Like we saw in Romans 1, all of humanity has fallen into this foolishness, and yet Christ walked in perfect temperance for those that never could. So what's the hope for the fool? The hope for the fool is in looking at Christ, the only place where our impulses and appetites can actually be satisfied, seeing that, acknowledging that, needing him, and then seeing his constant temperance, looking at how he controlled himself for us, and crying out to the Lord. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And as we see Christ, as we love him more and more, the Spirit works in us and makes us more into his character day by day. I want you to think about what our church would look like if we actually grew in temperance, if, if, we, if we lived this out. How would we change? You see, I'm, I'm really praying for this, and I have been through the, through the sermon prep, because I think if our church grew in this area specifically, it would have a major impact on our city. I mean, if you think through our mission as a church, to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. 
And if you think through even our identities and our MCs as uh, family missionaries, servants, and leaders, all of those things require wisdom to walk in. But even if you know how to do them, if you know all the mechanics of how to share the gospel, if you don't have temperance to control your impulses, you never will. If we were to grow in temperance, what would our MCs look like? If we want to have a vulnerable community that isn't afraid to correct humbly or to respond generously, if, if we need to live out mission even, it requires running away from foolishness and embracing this temperance. This is the difference between a Christian and secular discipline. Secular discipline says, I control myself so that I can better myself. But Christian temperance and Christian discipline says that I need to control my impulses, I need to quell that inner fool so that I can be controlled by my love for Christ, so that I can walk well, so that I can improve others, not myself. So I, I, want, I want our church to grow in that, not so that we can be more like Jocko and all go to the CrossFit gym and you know, have a great community. I want us to grow in temperance so that we can walk right in mission, so that we can share with people, and so that our church and our city can grow in the knowledge of God. Let me pray for that this morning. Father, as we come to the table this morning, God, we're reminded of, of Christ's temperance in our place. We're reminded that he had every desire to run away from that cross, and yet he controlled it for us. And Father, we're reminded that in Christ that all of these appetites that we need to control, they're, they're gratified in him. Father, they're fulfilled in him. So, Father, I pray that this morning as we eat and drink, uh, that you would give us the ability to control our appetites, that, that we would see them fulfilled in Christ, that we wouldn't need to find other places to fulfill them. And, Father, that you would make us a, a temperate church that's able to walk in wisdom and able to carry out the mission that you've given us. Father, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.